Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to the 101st episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite some time, having the opportunity to talk to North Carolina's top economic development official about the trends he's seeing in clean energy and the success North Carolina has had in recruiting new clean energy manufacturers to the state. We talk about why North Carolina has been such an attractive state for investment, what's been announced for new investments and jobs thus far, and what's to come in the pipeline. But before that conversation, a few short updates. Coming up on January 31st, NCSEA is hosting our annual continuing legal education event, Queen Energy in North Carolina. For attorneys listening in, this is a great opportunity to earn your required CLE hours and learn about the latest policy and regulatory happenings in North Carolina. For all others, this is a great way to stay on top of the latest in the clean energy ecosystem in the state, while also having a chance to hear from sitting utilities commissioners on the ever-popular View from the Bench panel. To find out more information about the event and to register, visit energync.org and check out our events page. Do you enjoy the content of this podcast? Do you find value in the conversations we bring you to help in your own clean energy career? The Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is brought to you in part by listener support, and we need your help to continue bringing content like this to your preferred podcast platform every other week. As we wrap up the end of 2024, NCSEA is conducting our annual giving campaign, which helps to ensure we can continue to advocate on behalf of affordable, reliable, clean energy solutions at the North Carolina General Assembly the North Carolina Utilities Commission, and other decision-making venues setting the path forward for our clean energy future in the state. Consider a tax-deductible gift today to NCSEA by visiting the homepage of our website or the link listed in the show notes below. Thanks again for your support. And now, on to the show. Clean energy. Our guest joined the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina as Chief Executive Officer in 2015 and brings more than 25 years of state-level economic development experience to the role. Since 2015, the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, otherwise known as EDPNC, has helped the state win more than 1,130 corporate expansion projects, resulting in nearly 170,000 announced new jobs and $55 billion in announced new investment statewide. Our guests previously held various executive and management responsibilities at the Missouri Partnership and the Ohio Department of Development. Our guest also has ties back to my home state of Ohio as a graduate of The Ohio State University. I'm excited to welcome Chris Chung, CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to be with you. All right, jumping right in here, Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about EDPNC and the role your organization plays in recruiting new economic development opportunities to the state of North Carolina? 
Sure. The Economic Development Partnership in North Carolina, we're actually getting ready to celebrate our 10th anniversary in 2024. And it's, it's an exciting milestone for us as a relatively young organization. We were launched back in 2014 really to take over a number of economic development functions that used to sit within state government, uh, specifically within an agency called the North Carolina Department of Commerce. Th this is a fairly common thing that you now see across the country in terms of how states approach economic development for different reasons, for different advantages. They're looking at models apart from a traditional public sector or state governmental agency. And, and that happened here in North Carolina almost 10 years ago, where a new nonprofit, i.e. the Economic Development Partnership in North Carolina, was created specifically to assume responsibility for, again, a number of these economic development roles that really help to drive greater economic opportunity for the entire state. One of those functions is the attraction or recruitment of companies and industries in from outside the state. So whether that's advanced manufacturing, whether that's clean energy, whether that's corporate headquarters, semiconductors, life sciences, agribusiness, those are the types of businesses that we get to talk to every day about North Carolina being a potential location for their future investment, their future job creation, and their future growth. Now, that's not the only way economic development gets done. It's not the only function that we're responsible for. We're responsible for promoting North Carolina as a tourism destination. Uh, we support the growth of existing companies that are already here. We help a lot of our small and medium-sized manufacturers to expand globally by finding them markets to export into. And of course, we also provide a lot of technical assistance for entrepreneurs who are getting ready to start that journey of launching their own businesses here in the state. So all of these things, if we're doing them well, they're going to contribute to a stronger economic climate for our state and hopefully more economic opportunity for the 10 and a half million people who call the state home. And I have to imagine as a public-private partnership, you also have to have fairly good relationships with our elected officials at the legislature and at the governor's office as well when considering various incentives to help recruit new companies to the state of, of, of North Carolina. Can you maybe talk a, a little bit about sort of your working relationship with you know, the legislature and the executive branch here in North Carolina as well? Absolutely. It is very much a team effort. I, I mean, you will hear economic developers use that phrase to the to the point where it's one of the first things that'll come out of our mouths is just how many different partners are involved in any successful economic development pursuit, including successfully recruiting companies to North Carolina from outside the state. Specifically, of course, as a, a nonprofit that handles these functions on behalf of the state, the formal relationship is that we are essentially doing this under contract for the North Carolina Department of Commerce. So in that sense, we have a strong dotted line to the executive branch, the governor and the secretary of commerce specifically, because this model is one where, again, we are performing this work under a very special kind of contract for the state. Of course, the legislature is very responsible for appropriating the funds that go to support that contract and that enable the Commerce Department to have the EDPNC doing this work on their behalf. So those are the formal relationships that are there in place that govern how this structure operates in North Carolina. But to your question on a day-to-day -day basis, yes, absolutely. When we get those opportunities to persuade a company to come into North Carolina, we're oftentimes the, the first phone call that 
companies will make or they'll find us on Google or they'll just look up economic development in North Carolina and that will lead them to us. Sometimes they'll come to the governor's office or the Commerce Department, but ultimately those all get referred to us to manage those opportunities on the state's behalf. When we're dealing with those companies, inevitably we'll get to a point, whether it's manufacturing or headquarters or life sciences, we'll get to that point where we are ready or the company is ready for us to put forward a package of state and local incentives that are part of the decision that the company is making on where to put this very important investment. We are not the ones who make that final call on what the state's incentive package looked like. That is still the Secretary of Commerce and her team over at the Commerce Department. They still control and manage the state's incentives toolbox. Now, it's very hard for them to make decisions about each deal in a vacuum, and that's where we're hopefully providing a lot of value to the secretary in the sense that we're giving her and her team the context behind each one of these opportunities. How competitive is it? Of course, what are the impacts in terms of jobs and investment, but also is this a an important industry sector for us to be in? Are there potential suppliers that might follow this company's decision? Are there other downstream effects that are not captured in the company's plans but that could be very relevant for how we want to think about this as a great opportunity for our community or for the residents of North Carolina. All of that context is necessary when you're sitting in the position of that Secretary of Commerce who is making those decisions about whether to offer incentives, and if so, how much or how aggressively are we going to be. That's how a lot of that work looks day to day. And on occasion, there's going to be really big, really transformative opportunities that the state gets to compete for. Maybe that's an electric vehicle assembly plant. Maybe it's an EV battery manufacturing facility that will employ thousands and make billions of investment. In some of those cases, our off-the-shelf incentive tools, the, the normal programs that we use for the vast majority of our deals, those may be insufficient given the outsize impact of those deals and given what our competitors are likely to be offering for the same project. And so in those cases, it may be completely appropriate to see if the legislature has appetite to do something that's not in the toolbox today, special legislation that would be tailored for this particular kind of situation or company. And in those cases, obviously the executive branch, governor and commerce, they'll take the lead on engaging with the legislature to start that conversation but we are here as a resource for the legislature to get yet another opinion in terms of, hey, should we go down this path? Why is this project so important that it justifies potential special legislation? Are there other factors that we should be thinking about? It's ultimately a team effort designed to get to one goal, which is make sure we've got as competitive of a package on the table as possible because we want those jobs, we want that investment here versus seeing it end up in one of our competitor states. So as you just did a great job of, of highlighting, economic development is a team effort. And our team here in North Carolina has been very successful over the past couple of years. We've been a national leader in recruiting new businesses and residents to the state. So can you share at a high level some of our successes from a top line dollar perspective and, and some notable wins that stick out to you, maybe even particularly in the clean energy space? Well, I would say to, you, you all were kind enough to have me uh, at the conference that you all hosted. I guess this is uh, back in November now. Time time flies this time of year, especially. But yeah, if you look back, I'll, I like to use 2020 
as a starting point, only because if you go back to the start of the pandemic, things really ground to a halt in our business. I, I suspect most sectors saw something like that, right? We were all just facing this really unprecedented in our lifetime situation of a global pandemic. And that caused a lot of people to hit pause on really important decisions. And that's no less true of the audience that we deal with in business recruitment. These are companies that are getting ready to spend hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on a new investment or new growth strategy. And to try to make that decision, given all the just the import of a global pandemic in a situation none of us had ever gone through before. You imagine things came to a screeching halt in our business for a two or three month period. But starting in about mid 2020 and ever since then, it's been a really unprecedented degree of activity of companies that are looking to establish new operations oftentimes involving some manufacturing or supply chain element of the clean energy economy. That's really what we've seen for the better part of the past three and a half years, and, and we don't expect that to slow down. Now, what does that activity end up looking like in terms of results? I think that's the part that we're super excited about. You, you, know, you go back to early 2020, and we're now at something like more than 570, 580 different companies that have announced new locations and expansions all across North Carolina, pledging more than 80,000 new jobs and close to $50 billion of new capital investment. Again, all corners of North Carolina. If you look at just the sector of those, the subset of those wins, those, those 570, 580 different announcements, those 80 some thousand jobs, 50 billion of investment. If you just look at the subset that is clean energy related or clean energy adjacent, that itself is an impressive list, let alone the entire total. Of course, the biggest one has got to be Toyota and what they're doing near Greensboro in Randolph County with an electric vehicle battery plant. This is Toyota's only EV battery plant in uh, outside of Japan as we speak. And as of late in October, they committed, of course, to an additional job creation and investment amount that will take them to north of 5,000 jobs and close to $14 billion with a B of investment right there at that one site. It is gonna be a tremendously important node in Toyota's global manufacturing footprint and key to their strategy to offer hybrid and battery electric vehicles as the market pivots to those technologies in, in the decade ahead. VinFast, of course, another big name, that's an EV assembly plant in, Char in uh, Chatham County. You've got Beta Technologies, which maybe not be on the radar as a Toyota or VinFast, but equally important for the industry that they're disrupting. This is electrified air mobility. So these are both passenger air mobility and cargo air mobility. So think electrified drones that are moving people and cargo. This is a company out of Vermont. While they don't make anything in North Carolina yet, that's all being done in Vermont. They do have their technology support operation in Morrisville, which is a key part of them deploying this technology around the world. Wolfspeed, homegrown company, they announced in 2022 a $5 billion uh, production plant that's under construction as we speak to make silicon carbide. This is a material that's very important, and the application for that material is really improving range and efficiency for electric vehicles. So definitely clean energy adjacent. Siemens Mobility building a new passenger rail car plant in Davidson County in the central part of the state. ChemPower, 
which is a Finnish company making EV charging station equipment out of Durham. They just shipped their first model out of their factory this week. John Deere, which has a joint venture with an Austrian company called Kriesel. This is the electrification of off-road heavy-duty equipment. They're putting a plant in Winston-Salem. And then Epsilon Advanced Materials. This is a company out of India, which again is manufacturing materials and components that go into electric vehicle batteries. So there's just just this short list alone. I mean, that that's seven or eight examples I can think of. But these are tremendous opportunities that are game-changing in their own way, but collectively show how much momentum North Carolina has in the clean energy economy. And that's that's really exciting. And it's a trend that we don't see letting up anytime soon. And I'm sure by the time we end up releasing this podcast episode, we'll already be outdated with some new announcements that will have happened, given the fact that there's been so much momentum over the past couple of weeks and couple of months where seemingly it's been every week we've gotten a big announcement here in the state. And that's a real testament to the great work that you and your team are doing at EDPNC and also to the governor's office and many others that have been involved in these conversations and negotiations. So taking a step back and you know and and really reflecting on all of these big wins that we we just highlighted there what makes north carolina such an attractive market for these businesses who are expanding relocating or starting their operations here in north carolina no one can say it better than the companies themselves and and when these companies locate in north carolina oftentimes there's an event or a press release or something where the companies get to share their side of the story and it, it almost always boils down to the same things that appeal to companies not just in this industry but really across the many different industry sectors where we have had success in attracting new investment and jobs and, and first and foremost still comes down to the talent all of these companies, whether you're in sustainable energy or some other sector, you depend on your people to give you a competitive edge in your industry. There's not a single industry out there that doesn't require the best and brightest in their field to do that. And they feel these companies, the reason many of them choose to locate or expand here is that they they are very, very confident that as their industries evolve and as their hiring needs evolve with them, they will still have the best access to the best human capital by locating here in North Carolina. Those are folks that are either coming out of our education system, K through 12, post-secondary, two-year, four-year HBCUs, people coming out of that stream of our talent pool, people who are transitioning from military service into the private sector and civilian life. That's another great pool of talent that employers have access to here in North Carolina. And then as you and I were talking before we started recording, just the sheer volume of people who continue to move here from other states in migration is what we call it. But those folks who move here from other states, they're of working age, that also further deepens the talent pool that companies have access to. And, and that that is a huge, huge advantage for any company in any industry sector. And that, that's no less true for companies in this space. Of course, you have to have things like operating costs, cost of doing business, cost of energy, transportation, infrastructure to move your products or your people. I mean, all of those things, of course, are equally important. You, you've got to have incentives oftentimes to close the deal. Those matter as well. But, but I think specific to sustainable energy, renewable energy, clean energy, I think it's really important. It's not, surprisingly, seeing what other states have also landed, it's not a requisite, but I have to believe that 
it makes a difference to be in a state that has shown an embracing, open, welcoming mindset for companies in this industry, right? Like if you're in the business of providing sustainable solutions for your target audience, whatever your product or application, it, it would logic would dictate you want to be in a place that's really all about that and doing everything possible to support that transition of technology. And I think the governor's leadership, the legislature's support, I think all of these different groups like yours who are making the case and turning that into policy that's supportive of the clean energy economy, I have to believe that that is also, that is a unique selling point for us, especially in the Southeast and, and is a part of why I think we'll continue to be very successful growing this industry and attracting even more global names from this sector to North Carolina. So I want to dig in a little bit more to the conversations that you and your team are having with businesses around energy itself. You know, you talked about cost of energy being a really important decision for companies as they decide to, to relocate to North Carolina. As I think you and I both know, and we've talked about previously, North Carolina has some of the lowest electricity rates in the country, which are really attractive for a large manufacturer with a huge footprint and huge energy demands for their operations moving forward. So I am curious, as we talk about you know, the procurement of some of their, their energy to, to keep their, their facility online, are companies asking or requesting access to clean energy to power their operations? And is that a considering factor for them as well when they're relocating to the state? In short, yes. Certainly seeing this, so Matt, I've been in this line of work now, this is year 27, and I've had the privilege of doing this in three states, Ohio for 10 years, Missouri for seven years, and I've been in North Carolina now, nine going on, on 10 years. And at the beginning of my career, cost of energy, of course, very, very important for manufacturing, but I cannot recall any instance from the first 15 years of doing this kind of work where these, the way that that energy was produced was a relevant criteria in that company's decision. It was ultimately about reliability and cost of that energy, especially again for energy intense manufacturing operations. Over the past 10 years is where we've started to see the source of that energy generation become more and more relevant for more and more industry sectors. It really started off like a decade ago, maybe not even that long, where it was a lot of the, the Silicon Valley tech companies. As they were going around setting up big enterprise data centers, the Facebooks, the Googles of the world, clean energy to power those energy intensive data centers, that was something that you started seeing, again, not even quite a decade out. Would it be a deal breaker or was it more nice to have? I would say it was probably more of a nice to have early on and progressively got to be more and more heavily weighted as a site selection criteria. For manufacturers, I'd say it's even more recently, maybe the past four years, probably not much longer than that, where we've really started to see that be much more of a heavily weighted metric as these companies evaluate different states and different locales for producing this. They want to know, can I source some or all of this energy consumption? And, and usually we're talking about, of course, power, electricity. Can I source it from renewable sources, clean, green? Different companies will use different verbiage, and each of them probably means something different, right, even if they use the same word for it. But you can see where they're headed, which is some consideration of sustainability 
to satisfy their internal needs, their stakeholder demands, their investor demands, their customer demands, whatever audience that they are trying to speak to in terms of their choice for how they source the power they use in producing their products, whatever it is, it's clearly become even uh, an even bigger part of the decision criteria than just in the the you know four or five years ago. And I think that will only continue to grow as ESG, environmental social governance uh, issues, continue to be factors that weigh on these decisions for American companies and and certainly international companies. And again, I think that creates additional market opportunities in the economic development space. And I think, you know, another big consideration too, and in, in having talked to, to some of these larger companies here in North Carolina is having that price predictability and stability when it comes to their own energy demand and usage. And, you know, when you start to see pretty wild price swings in the cost of energy, that's really tough to manage and can be a real hit on the bottom line. And so I know from the perspective of a lot of companies in North Carolina, they are really interested in procuring energy from price stable sources moving forward. And and we've had some challenges over the past couple of years as it relates to things like natural gas, where you've seen volatility in pricing due to global economic issues, et cetera. So I, you know, I think just from a pure bottom line perspective, that's something that that are top is top of mind for a lot of companies here across the state. So switching gears a little bit, you know, just in the past year and a half or so since the Inflation Reduction Act had been passed, we've we've seen something to the effect of in the clean energy space, $18 billion of of new investments made here in North Carolina. And, you know, I think as as you and I both know, there are a decent bit of incentives involved in that in that policy to encourage companies to onshore some of their manufacturing and operations and really build out the supply chain for clean energy here. So in some of your conversations with with companies, has the Inflation Reduction Act been a determining factor for businesses to set up shop here in North Carolina? I think it's important to remember, we don't always get the luxury of an explanation for what's driving the need for this production facility that a, a company may be looking in North Carolina for. It, sometimes even the people that we're interacting with may not have line of sight into that. I think in the cases, and so in some cases, we we just don't ever hear directly. And what we can do is try to infer based on their product or their industry category. And yet there are other situations where they're very explicit that the companies and oftentimes these are international companies that are headquartered outside the United States. They tend to be a lot more explicit when they're engaging with us and say, hey, a lot of this is being driven by federal legislation, IRA or in other sectors. Maybe that's chips. Maybe it's even Infrastructure Act. They tend to be a lot more upfront to say that's the reason we're looking in the United States to set this up. And so that does reinforce the whole goal or one of the major goals of this legislation, which is to really invest in the United States. I mean, we we don't want to cede our manufacturing know-how as a country. That's not a good national economic or national security policy. And so how do we meet the needs of the future energy economy? How do we need meet the needs of the future semiconductor industry by making sure that we're making making more of those products and delivering more of those technologies out of American factories and out of our communities here. And I think that's that's a good thing as an American. Now, what that means for us as an economic development outfit that serves North Carolina is, of course, the more companies, both domestic and international, that are spurred to consider the United States 
for advanced manufacturing capacity, that's ultimately going to mean more opportunities for North Carolina to win our unfair share of those investments, right? The Southeast is still considered one of the most attractive regions by companies, both again, American and foreign, who are looking at the United States for manufacturing. So just by virtue of being in the Southeast, we know we're going to get a lot more looks than other parts of the country. And then within the Southeast, we feel like all of our advantages relative to workforce, relative to public policy, relative to cost of business, tax rates, incentives, we feel that within the Southeast, we really stand head and shoulders above the rest of our competition. You know, Georgia gives us a good run for our money. South Carolina can be competitive, but we really feel like we have everything that these companies are looking for, which I think is a big part of why we've been successful as a state. Now, the key is how do we sustain that momentum? Let's not get complacent. Let's not assume we're always going to be top dog. Let's continue making the investments and policy decisions that will keep us in the pole position as more and more of this manufacturing comes to the United States. And I think if we do those things, we're going to have a really nice track record. We've been sitting down five, 10 years from now, and there'll be even more great news to talk about because we will have kept our focus on maintaining a competitive business climate that meets the needs of the you know, the, the most important industry sectors for the, the next decades to come. So talking about momentum, I'm really curious if there's a snowball effect to a degree for for companies that are looking at North Carolina and are seeing either the companies that are already here on the ground, have their operations in place today, or have announced investments uh, in the, the energy space, for example. Does that lead to additional companies making investments here, given the announcements we've seen, given the existing energy ecosystem that we already have here in the state? How important is that from a, a new energy manufacturer's perspective and potentially relocating into the state? It's important in every industry, Matt. I think we we call it a signaling effect, but the signaling effect works in a couple ways in our industry based on my experience. One is geographically. So you take a company like Toyota. There is no better known Japanese, better respected Japanese brand than Toyota. And it's a company that's been around 100 plus years and see them all over the world. So when a company like Toyota chooses to put so many eggs in its electrification strategy in the basket called North Carolina, that is going to be noticed by of course, lots of other Japanese companies that may have nothing to do with the automotive industry, but simply know that Toyota is getting ready to pour $14 billion and create 5,000 jobs in North Carolina as a linchpin in their electrification strategy. That's huge in the Japan market, and we will continue seeing dividends from that announcement for years to come just by based on other Japanese companies who may not even be in that industry that see where Toyota is going and say, hey, maybe we should look in North Carolina. Remember, a lot of these companies, if they haven't visited North Carolina or they haven't had cause to travel to or do business in North Carolina, just as we would have a hard time pinpointing where different prefectures in Japan are or even provinces in China or states in India, it's hard for executives and decision makers in other parts of the world to really know where the different states are, right? They know where Florida is. Maybe they've been to Disney. They know where New York is. They know where California is. Maybe they know where Texas is, but the rest of the United States, it, it's probably the, the familiarity and awareness not as strong as we would want it to be. And so that's why that signaling effect is very important. When a Toyota puts its flag in North Carolina, 
other Japanese companies who see that are like, oh, well, hey, maybe that's a state we should be looking at because if it works for Toyota, sure as heck is going to work well for us. So that's one signaling effect. The other signaling effect, as you were alluding to, is more within the industry itself. When major names in the clean energy economy choose to invest here, whether that's a wind turbine components plant, whether that's solar panel production, EV, EV batteries, battery storage, hydrogen fuel cell systems, when these companies that make up the clean energy economy, put something major in North Carolina. Yes, I have to believe at industry trade shows, at industry conferences, in industry publications, that garners enough attention where other companies in that sector will also say, hey, hadn't thought about North Carolina, maybe we should take a look based on these companies going there. So those two signaling effects, that can that success can beget more success because of the way that what this sends out in terms of attention for our state. So speaking of that signaling effect and recruiting more companies to the state of North Carolina. What does our pipeline of new projects look like at this moment? And how much of that pipeline is comprised of potential clean energy investments? Well, I should have looked this up right before we got on, but the nice thing is I'm sitting in front of my computer. I can open up Salesforce, our, our CRM right now and, and take a look. So you, you get the freshest numbers I've given, at least as of 12.43 p.m. Eastern time on uh, December 19th. So right now we are working 240 projects. Now that's all industries. Those are attraction deals, recruitment deals, and of course the potential expansions of existing operations. Right now, as of this moment, 35 of those 241 projects are in what we consider to be quote unquote energy. Now these are, we use very broad definitions to classify our projects. Otherwise you get too granular and the data loses its meaning, but 35 are in the energy sector. Another 33 of those 241 projects are primarily in what we consider the automotive sector. And a lot of that is probably vehicle electrification or something that supports it. So 68, out of 240 projects, so whatever that math is, close to 30%, maybe close to a third of the deals that we are pursuing at this moment in time have something to do with the energy economy and most likely the clean energy economy. Those have been pretty steady ratios for the better part of the past couple of years. Energy and automotive have flip-flopped in terms of number one or number two leading sector for the activity that we're working on. Right now, energy is one and automotive is number two, but they've exchanged places periodically over the past couple of years. But bottom line is clean energy related deals continue to make up a sizable portion of what we are chasing after on behalf of the state. And we don't see that trend changing anytime soon partly due to federal legislation, but also due to where the economy is headed and where private industry is banking on the future for their products and their technologies. This is a shift that private industry is already making. Sure, it's accelerated and spurred on a little bit by federal legislation, but it's a it's a pivot that was already happening. Now the key is how does North Carolina gain as much economic opportunity from this transition as we can based on all the assets and advantages that we know we offer to companies. So I want to I want to flag that for everyone listening into this podcast. If you're from outside the state of North Carolina, we have a lot of potential investment coming into the state in the energy sphere. So if you are interested in continuing your career in in energy, North Carolina is the state to be. And for those who 
are considering a career in energy, maybe coming through the the K through 12 or the collegiate system here in North Carolina, I'd highly encourage you to consider a career in clean energy. Our most recent report published by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association showed that we've got just north of 105,000 clean energy jobs already on the ground here in North Carolina. And with some of these statistics that Chris has just shared with us, that number is, is set to grow even more over the next couple of years from the projects that have already been announced and projects that have yet to be announced. So with all of that being said, Chris, I'm so appreciative of you taking the time amidst all of the the conversations and activity that I know you have going on all across the country and across the world. So we're really appreciative of everything that you and your team are doing to continue to recruit these companies to the state of North Carolina to continue to create a really vibrant energy ecosystem. So Chris, thank you so much for taking some time to join us this morning on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Absolutely. Great to have you, Matt. And again, really appreciate everything the association is doing to create a more welcoming, receptive environment. That, as I said earlier, that makes a huge difference in our ultimate success as a state. So thank you all for your partnership. And as you heard from Chris in our conversation, clean energy is a major component of economic development, which in essence is leading to billions of dollars of investment in the state significant amounts of new tax revenue for state and local jurisdictions, and of course, new jobs. So whether it's the energy these new companies are consuming to make their product, or the product that they're producing is a clean energy component itself, our industry plays a major role in the growth of North Carolina moving forward. This is especially true after the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which provided a number of incentives to encourage the onshoring of the clean energy supply chain and has helped our state to secure our position as an integral player of the battery belt across the Southeast. Make sure to keep listening in to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast to stay up to date on the latest manufacturing and jobs announcements in the state as we're destined to see quite a bit more in 2024. All right, and that's all for today's episode. Have ideas for future episodes or a burning clean energy question you want to see covered? Send me a note at mattable at energync.org. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider contributing or sponsoring today to help ensure we can continue to bring you great content like today's episode. Sponsorship opportunities and more can be found at energync.org forward slash the squeaky clean energy podcast. And episode 101 of the squeaky clean energy podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy from North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.